Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. And uh, hi, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show, 203-333-9422. Listen, everybody, it's happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. And so because it's Halloween, we thought, you know what? We really should talk about witches. Now, we had a fantastic podcast a few weeks ago, one of our most listened to, incidentally, with uh, a professor from CCSU, Professor Emerita, who's also a fabulously brilliant historian, about the 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 saga of witches in Connecticut. And I wanted to follow up with today's guest, Carola Bella, because she's also done an enormous amount of research on witches, specifically in Simsbury, Connecticut, where she lives. And she's written a novella about it because she has weaved fiction and nonfiction into a story. Carola Bella, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show today and happy Halloween. Thank you, Lisa. It's great to be with you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. So, Kara, you, I understand, you got knee-deep, elbow-deep into history using a variety of sources in your own small town. Is that right? Yes, I did. Uh, <laughs> the town hall, the free library, the public library, the historical society, uh, all were resources for me as I researched this legend, this little 20-page pamphlet by Charlotte Phelps Crowfoot written in the 1920s uh, based on an oral tale passed down in her family. Uh, the Phelps family were among the earliest settlers uh, in Simsbury, um, living here certainly before 1680. And I was determined to find the women. All the men existed in history, and I was determined to see if the women didn't exist as well. So tell us about that. What did you find out? Let's hear about the historical truth. Then we'll hear about your story. Okay. Uh, what I found was one which most definitely existed in the Simsbury community in 1680. There are several women who actually qualified uh, as an actual historical candidate, but one in particular stands out. Her name was Mercy Moses. And she was the daughter of John Moses, one of the very first settlers here in Simsbury. She lived in the same stretch of Weetog, our historic district in uh, Simsbury, 
the same stretch of Weetog as a Dr. Philip Reed, who came from the Plymouth Colony about 1700. And he lived with his sons. They were all doctors, trained physicians. And it makes perfect sense that they really would not appreciate a woman healer in their community. Uh, women well, like let's, wait, Hutchinson. Wait. Let's go back. You talk about yeah. someone as a witch, and then you talk about her as a healer. I need to stop you. What do you mean, Kara, by a witch? And then why do you jump to the calling her a healer? Tell me what we mean by the terms that you're using. Okay, that's fair. Um, being a healer, which um, Mercy was a perfect candidate to be accused as a witch. Ah, okay. Since okay. she practiced her arts, um, you know, certainly welcome and appreciated when she was needed, but certainly, you know, uh, up for, you know, scorn and criticism and accusation when she didn't succeed. Uh, being a healer was sort of a, a hallmark, uh, one of the traits, um, and we can find this in Connecticut witch trial history. Uh, we know that Catherine Harrison was also a healer. Um, persecuted as a witch. Um, so we see this pattern in history. And so we see the same pattern here in Simsbury in the late 1600s, a woman healer named Mercy Moses, who was accused by a trained male physician of being a witch. I see. Okay. So she did not proclaim that she engaged in sorcery or witchcraft, did she? No, she didn't. No, no she was very humble. Um, treated the community well. In fact, it's a very interesting story simply because she was exonerated by her community. Dr. Reed's accusations didn't stand. Oh. And that is very rare. Very. Very, isn't she it? She must have been yeah. very beloved. Maybe she was a very gifted healer, Kara. Maybe she helped a lot of those people in the community and they were grateful to her. That's exactly right. That's exactly right, Lisa. That comes through in the legend, and I think that's exactly what happened. She was well-beloved, and people just wouldn't entertain this accusation that she meant them any harm. So what was it? So let's just talk about being accused of being a witch. We're talking about people deriving from a Plymouth colony that came here with a very strong sense of being persecuted as Christians. Did they see the world where either you were on the side of the angels or the devil and therefore calling somebody a witch was associating them with the devil? I believe so. I believe that's a reasonable statement to make, you know, and of course everyone believed at that time that if you were in league with the devil, you endangered not only your own soul, but the entire community, the welfare of the community was at stake. The crops could fail, people's health could go down, animals could die, you know, all these catastrophic things could happen if even one among the community were found to be in league with the devil, the punishment would come down upon them all. Ah. So I think that's, uh, yeah, it was pretty black and white as far as I can see. And being accused of witchcraft at that time in colonial Connecticut, what were the punishments, Kara? What, what could happen to a person? Well, they they varied widely. Um, as your previous guest mentioned, we did have executions. Um, we did have women brought to trial. Eventually, the women were awarded damages. After 1663, women could be awarded damages. Sometimes women would flee. Um, our records are very sketchy. Massachusetts records are meticulous. We can still find testimony from 
you know, the Salem witches, we can read their own words. We can read every jot and tittle. Unbelievable. <laughs> but, but in Connecticut, we just seem to have lost, perhaps destroyed, perhaps modified. Many of the records of the later trials say unclear as to whether a trial was actually held. So, so tell me more about Mercy Moses. Was she alone? Did she not have a man to protect her? Was she unmarried? That's exactly the way. And that also is a pattern, as we've seen. Mercy Moses um, was the daughter of a very prominent man, John Moses. He passed away. She had two brothers who were injured uh, in battle in the Narragansett Fort. They came home very young. She nursed them. When they were wounded, they passed away. She had a fiancé who was also killed in conflict in those early years. And so she was alone, and she really had no recourse but to rely upon herself and the skills that she had amassed. And this could work for a woman or against her. And we see this also in the case of the other witch of Simsbury, Deborah Griffin. She was also a widow. She was independent. She could spin very well, and this is also like Katherine Harrison. Um, she could spin very well, but textiles were still the provenance of men. At really? That time. In other words, the fact that you can make your own clothes or blankets wasn't considered women's work in those days? Isn't it funny? It, it was expected of the women, but if yeah. you were too good at it and you drew attention to yourself, then, you know, you brought down all sorts of scandal and suspicion. Oh, so it's it's these little <laughs> hallmarks that struck me. Isn't it ironic? Unbelievable. It's all these little hallmarks that struck me in the legend. That told you've got to be good, but not too good, right? You've got to exactly. be good at it, but not too good at it. Wow. It's so true. Maybe same now. I don't wow. know. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. We're chatting with Carol Abell about the Witches of Simsbury. So tell me about this other gal. Her name was Deborah. Her name was Deborah Griffin. Uh, As far as I can tell, and she was more difficult to find in history. There were several women who might answer to her description, one in particular mentioned a widow griffin who had a very long fence that needed seeing to, and a deputation of men, including a man named Peter Buell and another named John Higley, both very prominent citizens in Simsbury and also at the state capitol, they were part of a committee to go and see to this fence on behalf of widow griffin who could no longer see to her property herself. And it's interesting to know in the legend, see that was fact, In the legend, Peter Buell and John Higley are the men who chased Deborah Griffin into three-cornered swamp, three-cornered pond, and shoot her. And what? So these men actually existed in history. And according to the legend, they they shot her. They, They chased her out to a swamp. 
yes, between, you know, Simsbury here and Granby. And supposedly she, you know, they thought she had stolen some silver plate from the meeting house and they shot her. So the legend goes, but it does say also, Charlotte Phelps tells us that the men confessed in later life to this actually happening. So we see how the community took things in both cases of these witches into their own hands. They didn't turn to the Capitol. Uh, Their minister had gone AWOL. He had a number of issues. He drank a great deal. Um, The Reverend Stone, (laughs) the Reverend Stone drank a great deal and he was not in evidence. So the Simsbury people had to figure out their own path. And we see even now in our communities, if people are out strongly against you, catastrophic. If people are for you and step up for you, you can be redeemed. You can be comforted and embraced and saved. How many people lived in Simsbury about the time of these witches and accusations? That's a good question. I've seen that 13 established families lived here. In my research, I think it was much more like 30 And so what would that mean, a couple of hundred people or more because people had more children then? I would say, yeah, Yeah. I would say that's about right. And were they living alongside Native Americans at that time in Simsbury? They were. It depends on the date that we were talking about. Relationships, as I understand it, with the local tribes were very good on the whole until uh, the Pequot War came about, and that's when Simsbury was raised in 1675. And that's King King Philip's War, you know, Metacomet, uh, all those forces coming to bear. So then the Simsbury people fled to Windsor from whence they had originally come. And it's about 1680, 1681. That's when I set my tail. They're coming back. They're trying to reestablish their homes, um, you know, in the face of this great upheaval. And in the, you know, the lack of a minister, poor harvests, taxes are being reimposed. So we see all these different stressors come to bear on the early community. We're chatting with Cara LaBella. When did we begin, do you know, Cara, to celebrate to, I don't know what the word would be about Halloween, but when did we begin to, to do Halloween in Connecticut? Do you know? That's a good question. I would say the early 1900s, because really it came over with the British and the Irish. They brought their customs over. Um, So early 1900s and, you know, sort of picked up momentum in the 40s and 50s, fell back in the 70s when we became afraid that, you know, our children were in danger of, you know, poisoned candy from neighbors, unfortunately. And, um, you know, but happily after the pandemic, we're bringing it back and hopefully it will be a safe and joyful thing. Yeah, but safe yeah, and I, joyful. I'd say about a hundred years. Spooky with a small s. So, in the, in the yes. it's fair to say, like in the, in the seventeen and eighteen hundreds, uh, especially with the Puritans, etc., that Halloween would never be a holiday that would be at all recognized among Christian peoples of our early settlers. They would look at us right now and they would say, "What? What are you doing?" Right. That's exactly what they would say. In fact, my understanding is that among our earliest witches who were executed, uh, including the Carringtons and, you know, other families, they were celebrating Christmas. That makes sense. And that was part of their accusation that they were making merry on the town green and there was Mm. a little bit of wine. Oh, really? And they were, yes, and they were Anglicans. 
They may have been Anglicans, very different from Puritans, a bit more lax in their custom. Or perhaps they just said, you know, we need a minute. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so I understand that even Christmas was suspect in that period. So celebrations, elaborate, you know, shows or performances of any kind really were suspect and frowned upon. And you could very well be accused. If you you imagine if the Puritans landed today in America, let's say not in America, let's talk about (laughs) Connecticut. They land in Connecticut and they see we've legalized marijuana. So people are smoking on the street. We've legalized gambling. Uh, We have wild parties that go on in, in nightclubs all the time. Uh, they would not. They would say, "What? What did we do? What did we bring? This is not the America that we envisioned creating." Am I right? They would be shocked. I shocked. think they would very well be shocked. A great many heart attacks would take right. place. Right, a great many heart know, attacks. Consternation, right, <laughs> of every kind. Wagging Absolutely. of fingers everywhere. Could you just imagine all the? And not to mention the fact that we're a free society and we allow free religion. And there was a religion of Wiccan which celebrates witchcraft. Yes. Oh, imagine, as you say, imagine the shocked looks and uh, the outrage. Yeah. And then they would say, well, all our ills are caused by such things. And of course, now we know better, you know, but uh, yeah, they would say what they would say. That's exactly fire and brimstone. That's exactly what they would say. They would say that these problems that they can pinpoint the cause of a lot of our societal ills to not following the word correctly. That's what they would say. You're right. Uh, Carola Bella, this has really been a lot of fun. What is the name of your book? Tell us about your book and how people can find it. Uh, the name is The Simsbury Witches. Uh, the new one is The French Paymaster. Uh, they can both be found at Simsbury Historical Society, Canton Historical Society, The Bell and Raven Shop in Simsbury, and The Kismet Shop in Canton. How lovely. Thank you so much for joining us today, Carol. What a pleasure. Really appreciate it. Lisa, happy Halloween. Thank you so much. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. We'll be right back with more of the Lisa Wexler Show. Boo! Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com. 